It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Sunday, October 20th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 337, featuring former Sports Illustrated and NBA.com writer Ian Thompson, is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% bonus. Welcome in another edition of Celtics Beat. Adam Kaufman here with you, and uh, I know it was a longer summer than any of us wanted. We spent a lot of time talking about all the various quasi-monumental changes, if if I can even say such a term. Maybe that's a, a little bit of an oxymoron. But uh, a lot of us felt like morons after last year and the way we looked at things this time last year, projecting ahead. It was going to be a layup, right? They were going to go all the way to at least the NBA Finals. Uh, I mean, Eastern Conference Finals at, at the worst-case scenario, but more likely than not, NBA Finals, and then probably lose but be a little bit competitive against Golden State. Well, None of that happened. We all know how things unfolded. Kyrie Irving, gone. Al Horford, gone. Terry Rozier, gone. Marcus Morris, gone. And and Kemba Walker is here and a whole bunch of exciting and uh, energetic and hardworking and passionate and fun to listen to rookies. And, of course, Ennis Cantor and some other contributors. And, and this year it's all about fresh start and taking a step forward and a lot of the things that we've talked about over the course of the summer. As I recall, if I'm not mistaken, I think the first person we interviewed on this very show after a lot of those changes and the start of NBA free agency and, and the season bringing in Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor in, in the, the beginning of turning the tide and making, you know, make the Celtics fun again was Ian Thompson. Of course, he is going to join us here coming up in just a couple of moments, but the regular season is upon us. Begins in just a couple of days, Wednesday night in Philadelphia. Gordon Hayward said at Thursday's tip-off gala a couple of days ago, these C's will be, like you've heard a zillion times already, hardworking. For sure, every night might not go our way, but we're going to give it our best shot. I think that's just who we are as a team. You can you can feel it in, in camp so far, and so I think we're all ready to roll. I know we are. I know the fans are. I know you listeners are. So let's bring in Ian Thompson. Has a book. We spoke a lot about it last time he was on a few months ago. The Soul of Basketball. You should check it out. It is a terrific book. So many great stories from there that we discussed on the last episode. And I encourage you, if you happen to miss that one, a lot of it, quite frankly, because it was the start of summer and free agency, is still relevant as we chat today. And, of course, the stuff with the book that's always relevant. You've been reading Ian for years, Sports Illustrated, NBA.com. You're very familiar with his work and always a pleasure to have him here on this show. Ian, how's it going? Uh, great, Adam. How are you? Doing well. And uh, like I said, I mean, just just ready. And, and you know, you've covered the NBA for many, many, many years. I don't know, How many years has it been? Do you know? I mean, on and off. I, Jackie McMullen and I were hired together at the Boston Globe <laughs> there out you of go. college. Yeah, and I, I, I was covering... You know, not as the lead guy, but I was at all three of the uh, Lakers-Celtics finals in the 80s, so I go that far back. And then Europe, I worked in Europe for six years with the International Herald Tribune. It was the largest newspaper in the world, and I did a lot of basketball over there, and that's where I got to know David Stern. He, when Whenever he would come to Europe, it seemed that he and I would connect. So, yeah, it's I'm ashamed of how long I've been around. <laughs> Decades. You shouldn't be ashamed. You should be celebrated. And, and and really, that's what we do by having you on the show. You know, I, w- I was going to ask you a little bit about the NBA China situation a little bit later in the show. But just because you mentioned David Stern, let's just do that a little bit quickly before we get on to the Celtics and some of the more pressing things like Jalen Brown's contract and predictions for the year and all that good stuff. 
if David Stern were still the NBA commissioner, not Adam Silver, and I love Adam Silver, and I think he's done a fantastic job, but I think he and David Stern are very, very different types of people, different types of personality. They ran the NBA in different types of ways. What would this borderline fiasco at this point look like if it was Stern in charge versus Silver, you think? Behind the scenes, and I don't know what Adam did with Daryl Morey, but behind the scenes, I would think David Stern would have lit into Daryl Morey. Uh, who do you think you are? You know, the only reason anybody cares about your opinions is because you're associated with us and now you're dragging us down. And then in public, he would do what Adam has been doing uh, since their first statement, which is to back up Daryl Morey's um, freedoms, his freedom, his right to freedom of speech, you know, and to say that we're, the NBA is not going to limit anybody's freedom of speech on this or any other topic and, and all of that. Um, so I, I think in practical terms, it, it would be exactly the same. Um, the, look, every, every company and corporation around the world that goes into business with China knows what they're getting into from the start. They all know, and they can see it when they go over there for meetings and they can feel it in the, the structures and, and the way, the way businesses operate. I mean, they, they experience it themselves. And even if even if the NBA now is saying that Daryl Morey has the right to free speech and we're not going to discipline him, we're surely not going to fire him, this has still been a victory for China because of the chilling effect that they've created. No one is going to want to speak out about them within the NBA anymore for fear of what it's going to do to the entire league and, and the consequences of it. You know, I shouldn't say no one, Adam. Some people will, but they. I, I think this will not be. This will not be the kind of thing where where if if there's a, a another police shooting of an African American, God forbid, and you hear players talk about that, um, you will not hear players uh, talking as much about what's going on in China. Much the same as they don't talk about what's what's going on around the world in Yemen or all the other places. So, um, I, but if, they, if David Stern were here, I, I think on the face of it, after that terrible first uh, statement that they put out, ever since then, I think everything would be the same. Do you think Daryl Morey, I, I know that Adam Silver has said the Chinese government has demanded that Darren Morey be fired and he refused and then China's come out and said, no, we didn't say that. It's, you think that, that that fans are critical of management. Now you have an entire Chinese government calling for one executive to be fired. Does Daryl Morey, even if it's not specifically the NBA and, and Adam Silver, maybe it's its ownership in Houston, does Daryl Morey survive this thing, do you think? Oh, I think he does, but it's a burden now on him. It's another within his franchise, because if he has cost the franchise money... Which clearly um, he has, and the entire league. Yeah, but especially that franchise who had such a head start on everybody else because of their association with Yao Ming. Of course. And they were the national NBA team of China. And that that still carries on. Um, and if he's cost the franchise money, and I agree with you, he, he surely has, um, that's they better win. <laughs> you know, they better win. This created another obstacle within his career. This is another thing he's going to have to overcome. His job was hard enough as it is, and, and it just became really harder. Are you surprised that all of this has become what it is off of what – I don't want to minimize it from the viewpoint or standpoint of those in China, obviously, but for us, with what we're used to seeing on social media here in the United States – what was such a really just innocuous tweet. I mean, it was it was just a picture of promoting freedom, which is something that clearly we stand for here. The fact that it has been met with such discontent and that the league and its players and LeBron James, you know, effectively talking about his bottom line, even though he didn't say it in as many words, the fact that everyone has had or chosen to respond to this or on the flip side, people like 
Steve Kerr saying, I don't really have a comment. I'm not as well versed. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take much to familiarize with yourself of are you pro-democracy or are you not? And just electing to stay away from this thing. I, I, I don't want to get involved. And, you know, Brad Stevens kind of did the same thing. Danny Ainge kind of did the same thing that just that picture, that tweet has led to all of this. Are you surprised? I, I'm not because um, this is the world we live in, and it's not just in China. Uh, you can go through the, the Twitter account of the president of the United States and <laughs> sure. see all sorts of little things being turned into outrages, and and other politicians do it too, and not not to the, the extent that he does. But so this, this is a a world without perspective, right? It's um, things are not kept in perspective anymore. And uh, I read an interesting thing about China. We won't go too much into it, but you know, there's not a as much as is it's a state-run society, and all the businesses go through the state. Um, it's not there's not a single voice over there. They they have their um, partisan battles just like we do, and there's different different sides take up different issues and the nationalistic people over there grabbed onto this as, as a foothold. Um, and then since then it looks like it's calmed down somewhat over there. So, you know, it's, it's unfathomable for those of us who live here in the United States, it's unfathomable, <clears throat> but then a lot that's going on within our own country is also unfathomable. <laughs> Well, I recognize and respect that uh, this is not a conversation, while I find interesting and would, would love to continue it, that the average listener of this program, this is not what you came here for, and, and you've put up with it for about 10 minutes, and hell, maybe you just fast-forwarded through, I don't know. Either way, I'm glad you're here with us, and uh, let's let's get more to the topics at hand, and as there's more fallout from the NBA-China situation, maybe we dive into that in future shows. But of course, the biggest story of the week, beyond the fact that the C's are getting ready to tip off their season against an old foe in Al Horford, or old friend in Al Horford. According to Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports, Jalen Brown rejected a four-year, $80 million extension from the Celtics. Obviously, that is nowhere near Jamal Murray's five-year, $170 million extension, and that means something. Here's what Ainge said on uh, 98.5 The Sports Hub back on Thursday about that report. I feel like the negotiations are going well. I think, you know, whoever put out that report was not accurate. But we are working to try to come to some resolve by Monday as our deadline. We've given him numerous offers. We're in, we've been negotiating for a little while. So um, Jalen doesn't seem to be too stressed about it. Um, he seems to be good and playing well and in good spirits and working hard. It's hard not to think about it at all. I think every player would, but I think that we're in a good place. And we'll, we'll see what happens over these next few days. So that's a mashup there of a few questions asked to Ainge, sort of put together with the important points. Nothing was lost or edited to sound any different than the points that you just heard, just to be clear on that. But Ian, obviously Jalen is betting on himself and his ability to become a star, believes he'll receive a better offer as a restricted free agent next summer. I tend to agree. I've talked about this in, in past shows, even before we knew what the money was, just that you know the market next year for him is, is going to be pretty good, even if he doesn't take a giant leap forward. But in your estimation, was this the right decision on his part, provided nothing gets out before this Monday deadline? Uh, I, I think it is, yeah. And I, I actually think it's really good for the Celtics. Um, if he goes into the season having something to prove this way and um, – Really saying, okay, I, I'm not going to think of, not that he ever did this, but, you know, when you go into a season, you've turned down 80 million bucks over four years, um, which just a few years ago would have been ungodly to you. You would kind of imagine making that much money, you know, when you're 15, 16 year old. Yeah. So he turned that down and he is betting on himself and now he has to make it happen. And he, he can't use the excuse, well, I'm only 22 and then. You know, about turn 23, I'm still young and all that. No, he's this is uh, he's he's planting his flag, he's putting his foot down, he's making a stand, he's doing all those things, and he's he's gonna he's gonna come out and prove that he's worth more money. And then, of course, if he does prove it, and he's really he's really great this year, the Celtics have the opportunity to match whatever offer he gets and keep him. So, um, and I'm sure the Knicks would be like a perfect candidate to go after a guy like him if he has a great year. 
um, considering his age and to take somebody away from the Celtics and the fact that, uh, you know, they've had such trouble getting established stars. This, this would be the kind of guy to go with Barrett who they got in the draft. So, I mean, really looking far ahead, if everything went well for him, that, that would be the end game. And even then, you know, as long as these negotiations are as Danny thinks they are, where uh, Jalen Brown isn't bothered by it and, uh, he, you know, the negotiations are going well, as Danny says, and there's no hard feelings. Jalen Brown's never been got through something like this. He hasn't even had an agent until the last couple of weeks. Right. So this is all new to him. And it's newer to him than it would be to any other player because he isn't talking to an agent all the time. So uh, that is the one concern I would think would be out there is does he not only go out to prove himself, but also in his mind to prove the Celtics wrong. If he wants, if he's going and saying, I'm going to prove them wrong. Well, that means, there are some negative feelings there. It doesn't mean, you know, he wouldn't come back to them or anything, or he, but, but it would just be a, a tough way to start the season. And it, it, it might linger on into next year, but look at him next year is a long ways away. Mm-hmm. This is a really important season for the Celtics, really important season for Jalen Brown and any little bit of inspiration that he and they can get out of this, I think is a good thing. Well, and looking at next year's possible free agents, and I was just reading up on this earlier, and for anyone that hasn't, I'll save you some time and research. These these are the only guys who are 30 years old or younger. So I'm leaving some bigger names maybe off that are that are a little bit older, farther along in their careers. Guys who are 30 or younger, since uh, Boston's certainly not going to be looking to spend big on an older guy if that money's available anyway. Gordon Hayward, I only bring him up because of the player option. That's significant and all the money that would be tied to Boston. I think we all believe, at least right now, he's going to opt in and stay. But other guys with player options, Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, Otto Porter Jr., Evan Fournier. There's Pascal Siakam, Buddy Heald, Brandon Ingram. They may be restricted. Fully unrestricted guys, Montrez Harrell, Derek Favors, Alan Crabb, Bismack Biombo, Tristan Thompson. What I'm saying here, really, Ian, is that Jalen Brown is likely going to be among the top targets, if not the top target, in next year's free agent class. So really, echoing everything that you just said, but with some of those names attached, he'd be foolish to accept something right now. That money is going to be there. That's why I say the money's going to be there even if he doesn't take a giant statistical step forward. Someone is going to pay him big for a young guy with obvious talent. I totally agree. And he's the best athlete on the Celtics. And that, and if he does play well, that's really going to stand out. If it's true that they're going to use him as a, their ultimate versatile defender, uh, guarding all sorts of different positions, all sorts of lineups, um, then that's going to really help him. You know, he, he may not, you know, he in the hierarchy of scorers on the team, he may have trouble getting past, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15, something like that. Mm. But if he fulfills the potential that everybody sees in him as a two-way player, uh, as a guy that, that really helps the team win because of what he does at both ends, and that the stats don't even begin to describe his importance, if that's what he does, and he does it with the flourish that, that the great athletes do, um, and they have a bounce-back year and he's gained the credit yeah, he 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 should be betting on himself if 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 he's convinced that he's going to pull all that off. So, in light of everything we just talked about, if you're just projecting ahead, you're thinking about it. What do you suppose Brown's market is going to be in terms of teams that would be interested? I know you mentioned the Knicks, or or just financially, what kind of money could he be looking at, especially if he's in the wake of turning down four and eighty? Well, I mean, in my mind, it just begins and ends with the Knicks because look, they they foolishly spent all last year, you know, wink, wink, we're going to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. And even in their letter they wrote to their fans and all that stuff, they winked at all that and and were hinting at all that, and they got totally shut out. And there's, just as you rightly pointed out, there's going to be no free agents next summer. And so they're going to do their damnedest to get a guy like Jalen Brown, I think. And 
you know, why not give him the max? And they, they, that's something they can sell and they can hmm. say, he's going to keep getting better. He hasn't even approached his peak yet. And um, so other teams would get involved too. If, and we're, we're, we're assuming with this conversation that he has a great year. The Celtics have a great year. He's really, he's really maxed himself out as a player. He's defined himself. We're no longer talking about who he's going to be. We're talking about who he is. That's, that's his big issue this year is to change that conversation from people talking about what can Jalen Brown be someday to by, by the time we get to May or June next year, people are saying this is who he is and he's indispensable. That's, that's his mission this year individually and to do it through his team. And if he's done that, then the Knicks are, are going to be all over him. Jalen told the New York Times the contract situation is on his mind maybe a little bit, but it's not overwhelming his thoughts. He's confident in himself. He's not losing any sleep and, and all of that, things that you would expect him to say. And Ainge alluded to some of that. And, and I imagine that all of this, you know, it's not keeping Danny Ainge up at night either. But I know there are Celtics fans out there who listen and say, Max from the Knicks and Bach and say, you know, see you later. That We don't need any part of that. But they're not the decision makers. Neither am I. Neither are you. It's up to Danny Ainge and, and the rest of that group. What do you suppose that Danny is comfortable with, knowing that obviously Jalen will be an RFA, the Celtics have the ability to match whatever it is? I mean, would they match a max offer, or, or what's what's their ceiling financially? That's just impossible to say. And, and honestly, I, I, I feel a little silly even bringing up the idea of a max for him next summer because he's got a lot to prove before he's worthy of that. Right. Um, I, I think we're just talking right now in terms of, man, if he met all his expectations and the team had a great year, they get to the conference finals, you know, they look like they're back on their way. Uh, if he gets all of that done, he's healthy, he's a two-way player, uh, makes big plays, does everything the team needs, all of that stuff. And that's a big list for him to check off. If he does all that, then, yeah, then now he's in the driver's seat. And I'm sure that's his dream. Now he's in the driver's seat. And now now the reality changes because, you know, you and I, the fans, Danny, Wick Grousebeck, everybody's looking at a different Jalen Brown than the Jalen Brown they see today. A lot Jaylen can happen. Brown knows who, no, Jalen Brown knows who he is, and, but he also knows who he wants to be. Right. He's got an advantage over us that way. He has this vision of himself in the future that we can't have yet. A lot can happen in the 11th hour, too. And, and again, Danny said that report was wrong, the 4 for 80. There have been multiple offers. We don't know what's going on in, in you know behind the scenes. I wonder if, if come that Monday, whatever, 4 o'clock deadline, whatever time of day it is for, for this to be worked out before Jalen's officially an RFA, if the Celtics were to offer 4 for 100, 4 for 110, I mean, you got to think long and hard about that if you're Jalen Brown versus banking on the the unpredictable when when you have that type of contract sitting right there. That's that's of course another presumption. It's presuming that that Danny even puts that in front of him. But if he did, it'd be tough not to sign that, don't you think? It, it would be, and then you'd have a clear idea based on his uh, decision on what he thinks of himself, what his own expectations are. Honestly, I might, I think it. I think it might be the best thing if he doesn't come to an agreement and now all the pressure's on and this becomes such an important year to him. Not that it wouldn't be anyway, but we've all seen in all the sports how when guys are playing for that contract, that's when you see them at their best. And then there's just a little bit of relaxing after that. Um, they're, they're not quite as great as they were in that contract year. I'm not saying Jalen Brown's going to do that, but that's just a natural human thing. And this being such an important year for the Celtics, an important year for him, it's an important year for Jason Tam, important year for Gordon Hayward. You go down the line of guys on the team, it's an important year for Kemba Walker. They all have their different reasons why this this matters so much. Getting it right this year matters so much. That's why I think that's why since we talked last summer, I've been optimistic about the team. But in this in this case with Jalen Brown. The con- not having a contract uh, might be the best thing for him, might be the best thing for the Celtics. It's funny. I feel like Marcus Smart might be one of the only guys to actually have a better year the year after 
signing the contract or, or the, the season after that summer signing the contract than the contract year going into it. Far more often than not, what you're saying, dead on point. Marcus Smart is that rare exception. Yeah, and he's a guy that totally believes in himself. Always hungry, always kind of, motivated. He's got a yeah. different point of view, and we've seen that from his three-point shooting over the last few years. He's got a different point of view of himself and, and a level of confidence in himself that sometimes fans, people watching, don't have in him. And yet I, I think that's that's going to that's gonna be the best thing about him as he continues to grow as a player, that this fearlessness and this total self-belief. He transcends contracts, that guy. The, the, <laughs> he does. You know, uh, his point of view, the way he plays, it, all that other stuff doesn't really matter. I'll ask this recognizing two things. One, this is really not a, a one-question topic, but I'm going to do it in one question. And two, that it is impossible for people like you and me to forecast. So it's it's really just a guess. Brings it back to China. Do you believe that this situation and all the money lost is going to impact contracts in, in the near future? Meaning, would someone like Jalen Brown feel the effects of that in his wallet? Well, if the cap goes down because they've got less revenue coming in, because this China thing has gone on and turned into a big deal, then there will be fewer teams with cap space. Uh, and yes, the, you know, it could affect him. If everything goes right for him, if he has this dream year and the team does well and the Knicks are offering tons of money, then I I, I don't think it matters. But if we're if we're going if we're going uh, to different degrees of success, if he has a good but not great year and the cap goes down and uh, and and the the immediate future financially for the league is not as great as it looked like it might be, then. For sure, that would be another thing. All, the, all these things, starting with the way he's going to play this year, all these things are just so hard to, to predict. One quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season in full swing. Already week seven. It's crazy. You can get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, BetOnline.ag. Sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional ball. Every spread, every total, every winner, every loser, straight bet, parlay, tease your way, whatever, all the way through the season. The Patriots, Super Bowl favorites. No shock, plus 225, followed by the Saints, plus 600, and they don't even have their regular starting quarterback yet. You can even bet on wild prop bets. Who will win MVP? Probably not going to be Patrick Mahomes now. Will the Dolphins ever actually win a game? Starting to doubt it. Super Bowl coin toss, heads or tails? You can bet on all this stuff. Get the fastest to market odds, updates, payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to the website today, use your mobile device to join, and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Let's get back to the show. Before we get to regular season expectations for this team, I do want to mention, because it's recent and relevant just because this name has been attached to the Celtics for months, Bradley Beal extended his contract with the Wizards through at least 2022. He tacked on two years, $72 million. So I never thought it was going to happen in the first place. But given that, can we at least now put the idea of Boston trading for him to bed at this point? Oh, yeah. No, and I never thought he was leaving, honestly. There was so much money. Uh, they've got a, they've got new leadership with Tommy Shepard for the franchise. Um, John Wall's going to be out it looks like for this year. So it's going to be Bradley Beal's team is uh, with the new leadership. And even when John Wall comes back, is he going to be the same player? So I, I just, I, I never saw him leaving. I thought he was going to stay. So yeah, yeah, we can, we can forget all about Bradley Beal. It's what, nice knowing you. Yeah. What about the, uh, the, the latest fad, which again is, is not new, but maybe just getting a little bit more attention because there's one less name to talk about with the Celtics and assets. We're always talking about, other team stars and not the ones that are here, Carl Anthony Towns. That's another one just it keeps coming up. Do you think it's even remotely realistic? I don't have a feeling for that one. The guy that nobody's talking about, but just historically it makes so much sense. And I'm not talking about him coming to the Celtics or anything, but Giannis Antetokounmpo mm-hmm. uh, is on a team that where he doesn't have all-stars around him. Uh, Chris Middleton was an all-star last year. Uh, do we think of him as like an all-star, that a number two guy on the championship team? No. You know, I, I don't. I don't think he's up to that level. 
in my book, I spent a lot of time talking with Pat Riley, uh, who spent two years uh, figuring out how how to uh, recruit LeBron James. And when he went into his meeting with LeBron back in 2010, uh, he did this whole long presentation on the history of NBA championship teams and how you need to have three great players. You know, uh, this year that might change a little bit. It looks like it's a lot of uh, two-player teams. But mm-hmm. at that time, it was three. And, and look, the two, the, just to finish this point, Adam, the, the two-player teams of today are a lot better than the two players that Milwaukee has. I mean, absolutely. you got LeBron and Anthony Davis. Chris Middleton doesn't belong in that conversation. James Harden and Russell Westbrook, both MVPs. Chris Middleton is not at that Mm-mm. level. Kawhi uh, Leonard I mean, and Paul George, obviously. Kawhi, Kawhi, yeah, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. All these teams, they, they have so much more talent. And I, I, just see, I just see Giannis having trouble in the playoffs year after year. And we, we've just, you just see it over and over where guys try and try and they just don't have enough around them. And I don't see how Milwaukee gets that great player to come play with him. So um, that's the one no one talked about. I mean, I, I saw the NBA general manager survey and they were talking about, I think they said Milwaukee was their second choice to win the championship. And I just think that's crazy. I, I just don't, no matter how well they play as a team, I just think having two great players to make plays and tight playoff games, uh, you know, when you get into game five, game six, game seven, and he's going to be standing out there looking on his own. Back in 2010, the Celtics upset the, the Cavaliers and LeBron, and their whole strategy was just to frustrate LeBron and make him feel isolated like he didn't have enough talent around him. And at one point, uh, Doc Rivers is on the bench, and he sees LeBron just get so frustrated and shrug, like, what am I supposed to do? I can't do everything. And Doc turned to his assistants and said, we got him. And I just think that's ultimately where Giannis is going to be unless they can somehow add a great player around him. I'm glad you brought up the GM survey. We're going to do that a little bit later on in the show. But bringing it back to the Celtics here and in this preseason, it's behind us. They they beat the hell out of some bad teams. Perfect preseason, 4-0. But Hornets, Cavaliers, Magic. These are not good teams. They will not be good teams. They will not even be playoff teams. So I'll just ask, how much of what we saw from the Seas during these exhibitions was for real, outside of the fact that obviously they're going to work hard and, unlike last year, pressure the ball defensively? I mean, none of it was for real. Uh, none of it matters except for this one thing to me, um, watching watching them play a couple of games. The way their starting unit played defense together in a couple of those games, one of the games in Orlando, and I can't remember who else it was because it really is unimportant. Hmm. But just the fact that they, they were they seemed to be on the same page and they were feeding off each other, and that's how it's got to be. That's 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 how it's got to be. It's got to start with defense, with their starting five, and um, so I, I think people should take heart in that. But the rest of it, you know, and even the first month of the season, I, I don't know how much stock to put into that. My my thing with people is always to say, tell me five things you remember from the first month of the NBA season last year, and no one can ever remember anything, you know, <laughs> unless it's something really awful like Gordon Hayward. You just can't remember because the season's so long and it's, it's the opening laps of the Indy 500. So this first one, Souths will open in Philadelphia Wednesday. Seems like Daniel Tice is the guy who's going to start at center more often than not anyway, if, again, preseason was, was an accurate representation and, and some of the comments Brad and others have made along the way. But we'll see, of course. But what about opening night? You know, what will Boston's approach be with its bigs against Joel Embiid and Al Horford? Because that's a front court to be reckoned with. Yeah, and that, that Al Horford was great against Joel Embiid, and so that really hurt the Celtics when Philly grabbed him away. But I, I just think their goal against Philly, and not just in the first game, but all year long, is going to be to uh, stick with the NBA trend and just beat them with, uh, by going smaller and with speed and shooting. The East is just... Uh, is, is so wide open. It's so weak, really, at the top uh, this year. And Philly looks like the best team on paper, but I just don't know about their structure and the lack of shooting, uh, um, especially when they're best players. If you go back over the last five years and look at the NBA championship teams, their best players were all shooters, have all been shooters. 
And, uh, you know, the Warriors or uh, Cavaliers with LeBron and Kyrie, whoever you look at, uh, the Raptors, uh, uh, Kawhi and Siakam and Kyle Lowry, all shooters, all of them. Uh, spread the floor, and your best players are carrying you with their shooting. And the, the Sixers, their best players are Embiid, who's going to have to be a monster around the basket, so he won't. He, he's not a shooter. Ben Simmons definitely is not a shooter. You know, Tobias Harris is is a good shooter, but he's their number three guy. So they're really trying to turn back the clock by the way they're playing. And they're playing with size, you know, big guys, where this is a league of small ball. So they're going to miss Al Horford for sure because Al could, could play out to the perimeter defensively and play inside. And he's a great facilitator at the other end. Uh, you know, they're definitely going to miss him. But there's a way – there's a way to to play against these big teams just the same as the Warriors have done it uh, and other teams have done it by going small. So I think that's the way to do it with this team. In the spirit of talking bigs, and, and that's been one of the hot-button topics this preseason and, and throughout training camp is what's the big man rotation going to be and all of that stuff. Will the Celtics make a move, add another big? We've been asking it all summer. Even after they added Ennis Cantor, it's been, will they add another big? Do you anticipate... Celtics trading for a big at some point during the year before the deadline, obviously, to to deal with these teams like Philly and Milwaukee come the playoffs if, in fact, you want to at least have options in terms of how you play against them or if in the event that going small doesn't work? I, I, I would be surprised that it's going to be that big of an issue except with Embiid. And again, the whole small ball thing has worked against big teams because you know your strength is going to be better than their strength, and they will be they'll have a hard time guarding you than you'll have guarding them. Where where that dynamic changes is when the big man is Brook Lopez and he goes out to the three point line, and that's different. But Joel Embiid is more of a traditional big man going inside. So yeah, they may have trouble guarding him, but his shots are worth two. And your, your your guys are shooting threes, so now it's it's almost like golf, right? Where hmm. the the short hitter Joel Embiid is like the short hitter, and he's getting killed on the par fives. Um, it's just harder to win golf tournaments that way. So I I I think really the first thing for the Celtics is going to be to try to establish who they are playing this way with these multiple lineups. Uh, Jalen Brown guarding power forward sometimes guarding shooting guards sometimes, uh, grind point guards sometimes, even if necessary. You know, playing their style, seeing how that works, if they really gain kill, then maybe uh, and they, they find that Cantor just can't defend his position as a big man, then maybe uh, they go out and find someone. But even the person they would trade for, how much help is that player really going to be to them? Uh, will that player be able to fit with them offensively? Is it going to be a drag on them offensively? So I, I really think this is their team. This is who they are. This is what they're going to be all year. The guy that everyone is talking about after preseason action, of course, is Taco Fall. But after that, and more recently, not too far after that, because everyone knows that Taco, much as, as we'd all love to see him you know, playing some sort of a weird specialist role that he's not ready for, he's not going to play any sort of meaningful role for this team. He's barely even going to be in Boston. Carson Edwards, he went nuts in the preseason. The finale in Cleveland, the eight threes in the third quarter alone in a span of five, six minutes, one shy of tying an NBA record, didn't even play the whole quarter. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't count because, again, it's preseason, but he has proven what we all knew when he was drafted. We saw it in the NCAA tournament with Purdue. He can shoot. That matters as far as NBA teams. You you know, you go back to the Big Three era, the new Big Three era anyway. There, you know, Ray Allen, obviously, as uh, as a more meaningful guy. Your, your microwave off the bench, Eddie House, where there is a more favorable comparison here. Again, we haven't seen real NBA action that matters out of Edwards yet, but do you think, and, and we know Danny Ainge likes him and others like him, is he going to play a, a meaningful role for Boston as a rookie? Yeah, I think so. The fact that as a rookie in preseason, and this is the one place where preseason, being preseason doesn't matter. The fact that as a rookie, he can shoot those NBA threes so smoothly with, with, with such confidence. Uh, and he was even shooting like Steph Curry threes oh, yeah. in preseason, like way back. So the fact that he can do that, and then, and then he's he's you know he's built like a 
a fullback and NFL fullback, yeah. even though those don't really exist anymore. But All the thigh that's how talk. he built. Yeah, yeah. He and so he can he can bull his way inside. They, Brad's always loved having that that little point guard as the third point guard to bring off the bench, change the pace, change the way the game's played. And I'm sure that's what this guy's going to do. So if the Celtics, this this is something I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, maybe an unreasonable amount of time, is is rotations and, and depth of the bench and all that. If the Celtics use a 10-man rotation most nights, and of course this is barring injuries, and not everyone is going to play every game, not everyone is going to stay healthy throughout the season, we know all that. But, but as we enter, where everybody's okay, save for this Robert Williams concussion situation, we'll see where that's at. 10-man rotation. Automatically, you name Walker, Tatum, Brown, Hayward, Smart, Tice, Cantor, both Williams. That's nine. So you have room for one more. It's Edwards, who, of course, we both think is going to play a role. Then you have Wanamaker, who didn't resign to do nothing. Poirier, who didn't come over from overseas to do nothing. Ojale, who maybe has already been passed in the rotation by Grant Williams, but he's still a guy they're paying a decent salary to. Top pick Langford, who I, I kind of want to leave out. I think he's probably going to be in Portland for the most part. Who is it going to be? Who's that guy as number 10, and, and not really 1 through 10, but number 10 of the group? Or do you think Brad rolls 11 or 12 deep most nights? Well, I, I think it's Carson Edwards because of what we just talked about. Uh, there's a rule for him. There, there's, there's a strength that he can bring, uh, and they've, they've gone that way in the past. Um, and then situationally, depending on who they're playing, maybe, you know, Robert Williams plays more minutes certain nights against certain guys. Or I, I, I do think in order to keep everybody involved and interested, they will switch out role players depending on the opponent. So different guys will come in against different teams, different nights. And then, of course, there will, there will always be the injuries or termite load management, all that, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. That, that's going to come up, too. So um, I don't think this is going to be a problem as far as having too many guys this year. It was last year. Uh, the problem started at the top and worked its way down as far as the roster was concerned. But the previous years, they've had loaded rosters. They've had a lot of competition. And you never heard a single word about it. Everybody got along. They were all pulling in the same direction. And I I really think they're going to go back to that this year. Regarding expectations, Danny Ainge compared this year, going in here again a couple days out, to obviously last year and, and all the hype. You know, hopefully this team is a little bit more together and is able to fight through some of the rough, the rough times and understanding that you need everybody on the team to perform at their best. You know, the defense is a is a high priority and that everybody has to play hard every each and every night. And um, I think that, that uh, all of our players were guilty of some of the selfishness and some of the uh, not playing as hard as they need to play to win. Um, I think every every guy on our team was guilty of that last year. You've told me, Ian, that you believe the Celtics can win the East. It wasn't a prediction on your part. It was kind of a end-of-everything-breaks-right situation when we initially spoke back in July, and you've had the whole summer to watch NBA rosters move around and, and you know players move around, things turn over, projections are out, season's getting going here shortly. Where do you see the Celtics right now in terms of wins, their regular season finish in the East and their playoff finish. To me, they're the the number three team in the East. Uh, now that Toronto, you know, lost their best player, you know, Milwaukee, Philly are one, two in either order, and then the Celtics um, are 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 right there, I think. And you know, based on last year, I shouldn't be saying that, um, but the reason I am saying it is because. I just think for each one of these guys that that is facing the big year this year, success is going to be based on whether the team wins or not. So if Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward is going into his third year with the Celtics, and this is his first real chance to help them become a winner mm-hmm. um, and to be worth all the money that was paid to him through no fault of his own, obviously. But but this is his chance, and they have to win. So that that's a great that's a great 
thing for him to be aiming for is to do that, to play great in a way that helps your team win. Jason Tatum is the exact same. People are talking about Jason Tatum being an all-NBA player. Well, all-NBA players don't score hollow 25 points a game. They they help their team win. They, they're important that way. And he's held to the standard of a guy that when he was good as a rookie, he helped them get to the conference finals. And really anything less than that is going to be a disappointment for him, I would think. So that that's what it is for him. Jalen Brown, he has to be a two-way player for him to, to fulfill himself in the NBA. And, and two-way players definitely help their team win. I mean, those, that kind of defensive effort, that's real leadership. When you play defense every night and you take on every assignment, you do well with it. And, and it's thankless work. It's the hardest work. And you talking about it means nothing. It's all, it's all actions over words. All of that stuff matters. So Jalen Brown, if he's going to have a great year, it's going to be helping the team win. And Kemba Walker is, is maybe the ultimate example of it because he's never won, not really. And he's coming to the winningest franchise of all, and he's very much aware of that. And, um, and this is a chance he's been waiting for his whole NBA life. And he knows he's coming in to replace Kyrie Irving, who was, is seen as a negative force, and now he's going to be trying to be a positive force. So it won't matter how many points Kemba Walker scores unless they win. So all these guys have to win. And and then they were, so many of them were together this summer with Greg Popovich, who was uh, expressing that all the time. They were hearing it from a different voice rather than Brad. And then Brad has to win on top of it uh, after after last season. So I just think when you put it all together that way, people should be optimistic about all of this talent uh, and and all these guys needing each other in order to fulfill themselves. It can't be in the vacuum, and they all know it. They all know it. So third in the East in the regular season, which I agree on, by the way, and I, if I remember right from when I said it a couple weeks ago, I think I put the wins prediction for what it's worth at uh, 52. Uh, I, I just I'm I'm also high on on that hardworking regular season, almost overachieving potential that we've seen so many times under Brad Stevens, just not last year, but. Playoff finish where, you know, I'm of the mind that they're not going to get out of the second round. They'll be a lot more competitive than they were last year and and more interesting. But I think it it would take a a special couple things to go their way to get to the Eastern Conference final and then anything even beyond that, obviously. Where do you think they do wind up? Where's the season end? The smart thing to say is the second round, for sure, because, you know, Philly and Toronto – look like or Philly and Milwaukee look like they should win more games. They should be in the stronger position going into the playoffs. But if they, if they all live up to their own expectations, uh, that's going to mean they're pulling together. And what that really is going to mean, Adam, is when we get into March and April, we're going to be talking about a different team than you and I are talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's why with a team like this, uh, we're, you know, this is a true prediction with this team. With Philly, we're talking about stuff we already know about, and uh, the same with Milwaukee. But with this team, <clears throat> we're trying to project how it's how it's going to turn out with players who are still uh, trying to find their way, and Gordon Hayward's one of those guys. Even Kemba Walker's one of those guys. Um, so I guess what I'm going to say is, yeah, you the the second round is like the baseline, but you shouldn't say what the ceiling is, especially in such a, a, a lousy conference. I mean, when you compare the the East to the West, it's it's ridiculous. It's like a, it's almost like the divisions, not quite, but it's it's almost mm-hmm. like the divisions in European soccer. So, um, I, I would not rule out getting to the conference finals if they're really playing well. They have that potential. No one should be uh, predicting it. No one should be saying it's definitely going to happen. But no one should be ruling it out either. You brought it up earlier. The annual GM survey came out just a couple of days ago, and most expect the Seas to finish, like we're talking about, third in the conference behind the Bucks and Sixers in that order. Seas, this time last year, had a 90% vote to finish first, and we all know how that turned out and why that is not the situation this year. Beyond that, 
Uh, Jason Tatum landed third in the breakout season category behind De'Aaron Fox and Jaron Jackson Jr. Everybody's really high on on Tatum being an all-star this year, averaging close to 20 and maybe even better than that, which which is what he hopes, and and taking that, that not step forward but leap forward from where he was even as a rookie, let alone where he was last year. Other than that, not a lot of love, Ian, for Boston. I mean, I thought maybe Boston might have some recognition for good young core and, and young stars or uh, Carson Edwards being one of the top steals in the draft, something like that. In fact, maybe most notable of this this whole thing, at least if you're a Celtics fan, is Brad Stevens falling from being considered one of the best coaches in the NBA, in fact, the best coach in the NBA, he had the most votes a year ago, to not receiving a single vote this year. Does that surprise you? Do you think that that his stock has, has really fallen that much after what we saw last season? It just shows that the general managers are, are as um, vulnerable to what have you done for me lately as everybody else. Yep. I think Brad Stevens is a tremendous coach. I never would have said he was the best coach in the NBA uh, after the previous season. Uh, how could you say that about somebody who hasn't won a championship in the league where that's by far the hardest thing to do? And a guy who uh, had not coached one of the, the great elite players mm. and, and not proved he could do that, uh, which is the hardest thing in the NBA to do. So, um, you know, they were wrong then and they're wrong now. He's very, very good. He has a lot to prove which I think is going to be a great thing for the franchise. Uh, um, look, I can go back and remember when Greg Popovich used to get his buck kicked every summer. Uh, and people said he wasn't a very good bench coach and he was, he was getting um, clowned by uh, Phil Jackson every year in the playoffs hmm. when Phil was at the Lakers. So th- these are all, these are all things people have to go through. Uh, Eric Spolstra people never took seriously as a, as a great head coach until he won championships. That's Brad. Brad's got to prove that Brad has to prove that he can coach great players, uh, divas, uh, guys who are very demanding and guys who have a lot uh, of responsibility. Uh, he's got to prove that. And he's, he's got to get to an NBA finals and win it. And then when you do that, then you get to be one of the great coaches. It's just that simple. And until then it's all just a bunch of talk really. And I think he knows that better than anybody, and I think that's driving him, and that's another reason that people should be optimistic about the team this year. A couple more things before I let you go and before we wrap things up, and I deliberately saved this one for the end. One, because it doesn't deal with the Celtics anymore, and two, because people are tired of talking about Kyrie Irving anyway, which I get, but I just think it's interesting. He's already refused to speak with the New York media multiple times. Season hasn't even started. How quickly do you suppose this thing gets ugly in Brooklyn? You know, I, I, I don't know what to think. Um, I thought it was really, really cool that uh, on media day when he came out and admitted that he had not been a leader for the team and that he had a lot to learn, all that, all the stuff that you and I talked about last summer about him, that, um, you know, it was his first time trying to lead a team and he just didn't know how to do it. It doesn't mean he won't figure it out. He's just different. He's a strange guy. They have a lot of young talent on the team, just like the Celtics did. The difference is they haven't done anything with it yet. The Celtics had done quite a lot with it. They got the conference finals in the seventh game with what they had, and then added Kyrie to it, and it blew up. So the the dynamic, the formula is a little bit different in uh, in Brooklyn. I really have no idea what's going to be coming mm-hmm. them this year. Um, I'll, it'd be much easier to predict if Kevin Durant was there because he's just going to win games by being Kevin Durant for them. But um, as far as leadership and who's going to be the strongest voice on that team, and who's going to be who's going to be the the one with the the integrity uh, to carry them through hard times, <clears throat> I just have no idea, and I, I don't know I don't know what to predict of them. Last thing. Right there in the spirit of predictions. Do you have any bold predictions for this NBA season? And while you think about it, I'll I'll just give you mine that that if I'm uh, if I'm wrong about, I won't mention again when the time comes, and if I'm right about, I won't shut up about. But I, I've been I've been down on the Lakers. I think it's a I, I think the fact that they are second only to the Clippers' championship pick in in the entire NBA, a, a you know a, a high 
betting favorite among people out there, you know, all, all the people out there in Vegas making the odds and everything. Like, I just think, you know, so much of that is obviously the LeBron James factor. I think that Anthony Davis, while immensely talented, is totally unpredictable with regard to his health. I don't like the role players. I don't think it's going to be an elite team. I do not believe that they're going to get out of the second round of the playoffs. I don't even think they'll be in the Western Conference final. That is my biggest of bold predictions for this NBA season. Do you have any? That is so awesome because (laughs) I think the Lakers are going to win the championship. Oh, there we go. Okay, good. So tell me why. I just think the the best player in the league – has just been kicked around for the last year, and he's brought a lot of it on himself. But people are saying he's washed up, brought the wine into the locker room. He hasn't defended for a number of years. Uh, He turned his teammates against him. No one's going to want to play with him. Scottie Pippen said he's entering his 17th year. He's not a worry anymore. No one worries about him anymore. If you don't think that LeBron James isn't listening to all of this and taking it personally – and giving himself this motivation that he never he hasn't had for more than a decade, or at least since he started winning championships in Miami, let's put it that way. He, he's taking all of this to heart. I am sure of it. And then you add the fact that he had his first summer without going to the NBA Finals in nine years. I mean, you look at how much how much uh, teams just get fatigued by going after going to the finals year after year. This guy went to eight straight finals and carried his teams mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. So he had a summer of rest, and he's been hearing all this stuff. And I, I just think we're just going to see an amazing season from him. I just think he's going to be terrific. Um, and that he will help Anthony Davis along. Um, they will do a great job of managing Anthony Davis uh, as far as his health. Uh, that's going to be their number one thing. They've had, it all, they've had a lot of shooting around their team. They've got older players. You know, it's the kind of team that Phil Jackson would want to coach. And I, I, just, I just think that when it comes down to it, and then, and then on, on top of everything, Adam, the GM said that the Clippers are going to win the championship, <laughs> which was just <laughs> such a gift, such a gift to LeBron, such a gift. Okay, now this this – Nothing. This nothing franchise. They're you're saying that they're going to be better than me. So this matchup with Kawhi during the regular season, I don't think it'll matter so much. But if if the Clippers and the Lakers end up meeting in the playoffs, it'll be personal. And it, yeah, and then and then down the stretch, who's going to make the big plays for their team? Uh, I think Anthony Davis is better than Paul George. And I guess with this. My point of view, I, I'm thinking LeBron is going to be better than Kawhi. I just think he is. So um, I think they're going to win the championship. I just I just do. And I was thinking most of the summer that it might be Houston, that, that Russell Westbrook and James Harden will figure it out. Uh, and they both have a lot to prove, again, to use that term. Uh, and that, that they've paid their dues and they're the kind of team that, that could come along. But I just think in the playoff series, games five, six, seven, second round, conference finals, uh, who's going to be the most important player out West? And I just think it's going to be LeBron. So there you go. We're putting our money in different places. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Ian Thompson, always a pleasure. I appreciate you hopping on, spending a little extra time with us than we had planned for as well, and uh, really diving into this team and this season. should be a ton of fun. I know we'll catch up during the year. I look forward to that. Thanks a lot, Adam. As always, really great stuff for me and Thompson. I love having him on. We'll have to do it even more frequently. It's been a few months since his last appearance. Maybe we ought to do it every couple months. I don't want to bug the man, but I love having him on, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled that he enjoys it as well. And I know we're all looking forward to the NBA season, so spend enough time here today. we got plenty more shows coming. Got uh, a treat on the way next week, if all holds. Someone who has been on the show before, but not in a long, long time, so looking forward to having him back and uh, you know, talk about that as we get closer as well. This show brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% bonus. Thanks again to Ian, to my producer Evan Valenti, who makes this thing sound uh, beautifully for you. Nick, Larry, John, everybody else at CLNS Media, and of course, always, most importantly, you. You can get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman, we can continue to interact, engage, banter there. 
Subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can just search Celtics or Celtics Beat. It'll pop right up. Leave a rating or review. We always appreciate that. You can get the shows on the CLNS Media YouTube page. Subscribe there as well. Get plenty of locker room sound before and after games, practices, all that stuff, and other sports as well. we got plenty of people out there covering the Patriots and everybody just doing a great job. A lot of great stuff for you on the way throughout this season. A lot of great programming. There's a new show, which you should all be excited about, with Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman. Check that out if you haven't. Tons of great stuff happening at CLNS Media, so appreciate you coming along for the ride. And this guy, who I hope to see a lot on the scoreboard out at the Garden this year, Gino. Get us out of here.